Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It's brought to you this time by Squarespace and Privacy. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Jason. How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm I'm great. Uh, we're you mm. know we're doing this big St Jude campaign, and uh, we're gonna talk about that in a second. But the as of the day we're recording, we hit a million dollars over the last three years, which yeah. just feels awesome. So uh, we did this big stream. I shot a confetti cannon off in my studio, which was mm-hmm. a choice that I made. It was and a rapid <laughs> uh, expected disassembly. It was. Smoke came out of the end of the thing. It's a very mm-hmm. frightening piece of equipment. Yeah. But and now uh, you've got uh, debris all throughout your office. It's very shiny in here. So, yeah, why don't you tell people about what's going on with uh, with St. Jude? Because we want to give them another chance to be part of the magic that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So September is National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. It's the month that we at Relay FM spend time talking about St. Jude. Uh, childhood cancer is a big deal, y'all. And St. Jude is at the forefront of of really changing the game when it comes to a diagnosis like this. St. Jude's been open about 60 years, and uh, in that time, they have brought the survival rate way up. But they're, they're not done. They're not going to stop until no child dies of cancer. Uh, my oldest son is a cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with a pretty scary brain tumor when he was just six months old. And today he is a survivor. He is one of the 80% survivors thanks to St. Jude's work. Uh, but there's still work to be done. We need to, to close that gap. And so we raise money uh, every year to, to help make that possible. And you can get involved over at stjude.org slash relay. And if you work for a company that has a matching donation system, and a lot of companies do. It's not just big companies. Lots of companies have this. Uh, send me an email, steven at relay.fm, if you go through that matching process, and I can have that funding also added to our campaign. So uh, that bar at stjude.org slash relay keeps filling up. Love it. Every year. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's been fantastic. On Friday, September 17th, so this is the... Uh, the last episode of Liftoff before then, uh, we'll be ho- hosting the Podcastathon, and that is a, a live event on Twitch from 12 to 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. Mike Hurley will be there. Jason, you'll be there. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun stuff going on. And uh, of course, that uh, in, in Liftoff territory, and we'll talk about this in a little while, lines up hopefully with the dates of Inspiration 4. So there's all these tie-ins oh. going on in September. It's it's uh, amazing. a lot of fun. Let's get into space and related subjects. How about that? But we should start with our pre-flight checklist. Uh, do you have a perseverance update? I do have me? a perseverance update, and it's good news, which is fantastic. Whew, that's even better. Yes. We spoke last time about how the first core sample that the Perseverance rover took on Mars uh, didn't go so well. And uh, the basically the collection tube was empty, even though the drilling had taken place, and the rover took photos of the drill site, and it seemed that the material here is really fine grain uh, dust or sand-like material, and it couldn't stay, basically couldn't stay in the apparatus as the as it's supposed to get sucked up and into the tube. And uh, so NASA and JPL looked at this. They thought, yeah, it's just a soil issue here. Luck, you know, just bad luck the first, the first time we went out to drill with this new rover. So they have done a second 
uh, drill site, which we spoke about last time, and that has been successful. Just today, uh, NASA announced that there is material in the collection tube. Of course, these will hopefully eventually end up back on Earth as part of a Mm -hmm. later uh, sample return mission. But uh, Perseverance is working well. So it really does seem like just the first spot that was chosen just wasn't a, a great starting point. Right. I did read that they are uh, they're okay with that because they got a pristine Martian uh, atmosphere sample. And that one, <laughs> that's how they're looking on the bright side. It's like, well, we were talking about getting an atmosphere sample. And so I guess that's it, right? There's nothing else in there, but it's sealed now. So they're going to get a pristine Mars atmosphere sample out of that one. There you go. Womp, womp. Always looking on the sunny side, those JPL yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steven, not to bring you down. Oh, no. But to everything, there is a season. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a time to launch a space station. Oh, boy. A time to decommission a space station. Oh, I've been thinking about it because uh, there's this story that I, that you handed me, by the way, because you just didn't want to be brought down yourself. You wanted me to do it for mm-hmm. you. Well, you, you've kind of been on the... The International Space Station beat uh, on the ISS off. beat. I know. All right. So the Zarya module, which is one of the first components of the ISS that were, was launched. Yeah, it's OG. It's been, up there, it's been up there for 23 years and operational for 21 years. And according to a Russian space expert, who is actually the guy who led the design of all of the Russian ISS modules for Roscosmos, um, superficial, wow, this is fun to say, superficial fissures. Super superficial super fissures. Official fissures. Super. He said that in Russian, where it's probably less complicated, have been found on the module, and they will begin to spread over time. And he predicted further an avalanche of ISS failures beyond 2025. Yeah. So um, now I'm going to point out here that the U.S. and Russia have been jousting about the future of the ISS for some time. This is a Russian guy saying bad things about the future of the ISS. I think it's possible that there's more to this, that there's a political effect that's trying to be had here. Yeah. Um, we, you know, like recently, Air Russia tried to blame a U.S. astronaut for that leak and the Soyuz capsule, which is pretty bananas all on its own. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now between the Russian government and the U.S. government, not just about space, right? But space is part of, of that connection. Um, the truth is, though, regardless of that, a lot of this stuff has been up there a very long time. You've ta- you're talking about modules that have been in space for 23 years and that have been pressurized for at least two decades. And the truth is, the ISS can't last forever. So uh, this is a, an interesting story to point out that we don't really know where we're going from here. NASA wants to extend the ISS life to 2030. Existing agreements seem to only go to 2024. The Russians have definitely made some noises about possibly not continuing beyond that point. But again, their finances are really limited and they've been putting money into the ISS. So it may be that it's just an excuse for them to walk away. But if they walk away, what does that mean for the ISS? Uh, Russia says they're going to be involved in China's space station because China is going to build its own space station. The U.S. and its partners, for their part, seem to be talking a lot more about the Lunar Gateway, which is a space station in cislunar space as a, a beachhead for lunar exploration. So perhaps low Earth orbit is going to be Uh, left to commercial enterprises. And there are several commercial enterprises that have talked about doing little commercial uh, space stations in low Earth orbit. So it may be that that ends up being the handoff. But like with commercial crew, you may also just see a period of time where there isn't a U.S. presence 
uh, permanently in low Earth orbit. It's entirely possible. It does feel a little bit strange to me that the commercial pro- crew program went through all that time and they spent all that money and they've gotten to this point and then it seems like in just a few years they may turn off the lights on the ISS. It seems mm. a little like, why do we go through all of this for that? Um, also, I had the amusing thought that maybe a Boeing, like the first Boeing Starliner can fly up there to turn off the lights. Uh, <laughs> like, we made it. Oh, it's shutting it down. Sweet Boeing irony. And I don't know if there is even an option for doing something like detaching older portions of the ISS, if anybody even wanted to do that. It sounds like I've seen nothing about any anything like that. So it sounds to me like the ISS isn't going to make it, right? Whether it's 2024, 2030, the truth is it's not going to make it. Nothing lasts forever. There will come an end. And I do think the question that's out there is what's next? Because if I had to say right now, what's what does uh, the world of space stations occupied space stations look like in 2035 right now my guess would be maybe there'll be some commercial stuff there'll be a chinese space station and there'll be the lunar gateway and that's what it's going to be so lunar gateway much more complicated interesting in the sense of sort of saying we're going to take nasa and and a lot of our crewed space program and we're going to put them near the moon and have the moon be the center of attention instead of the earth um but, uh, you know, it's it's just this is that story that we've been covering here and there for the last few years. And there's no clear answer here. But, you know, you can't even if you want to keep the ISS going and everybody gets on board and keeping it going, it's not going to keep going indefinitely. You would have to start building replacement modules and things like that. I can't help but think we we may enter sort of a, a dark period in low Earth orbit where there's not much going on at all. Right. If America has yeah. turned its attention to cislunar space and the ISS is at the end of its useful life. And, and I agree with you. I haven't heard anything about concrete plans of, well, let's take these modules and build something smaller. I mean, imagine that's in a in a report somewhere deep inside sure. of the federal government, but that hasn't been publicized. And I just uh, I just wonder if we're going to come up on a point where, yeah, eventually there'll be commercial stuff. Yeah, eventually there may be whatever the Chinese are doing. But in terms of sustained human presence in low Earth orbit, or at least sustained non-Chinese presence in low Earth orbit, right. maybe coming to an end. Yeah, because that that's the truth of it, I think, is that that's, if, if the Chinese space station plan comes to fruition, the Chinese and the Russians and who knows who else, but not the Americans, because America has a law against working with the Chinese space program, essentially. So uh, what will that look like? Um, and it might be lots of countries involved in that space station and not the U.S. And I do wonder, I mean, in, in some ways, maybe this decision got made. I would love to hear if there are people out there who worked in the ISS. And I know we've got, had some listeners who have. But like, it seems like this is a decision that's also sort of just been made by the fact that nobody has seemingly come up with a plan for um, replacement parts for the ISS, right? Like I could see somebody saying, well, you know, we've got the scaffolding and we've got those those solar panels and, and we've got all this stuff up there. So why don't we just replace this part with this other part? Or we'll pull this section off and attach this new thing. And now it's a new uh, space station and we can, you know, but we're not... Uh, to my knowledge, building replacement space station modules and planning out sort of like what space station phase two is like, it seems much more like we just have kept kicking the can down the road a little bit about how long the ISS is going to stay, but that at some point they're going to have to basically take it apart and deorbit it, which 
I don't know. On one level, everything, you know, has its end. On another level, it's a lot of time and effort and money put into something that is up there now would seem to be ashamed to just walk away from it. Now it brought you down. Brought me down. I'm going to go back up. Okay. How about that? It's a roller coaster today here on Liftoff. Woo. Oh, yeah. The James Webb Space Telescope. I know you're saying, Stephen, normally that's a downer topic, but I got good news. Okay, good. About the James Webb. Love it. It it is being prepared for shipment to the launch site. The testing has been completed and they're packing it up. They're going to put it on a boat and it's going to go to the launch site and then it'll be in space, hopefully by the end of the year. So that's good news. That's awesome. Very good news. Yeah. Uh, A little detail here. We've talked a lot about the testing. The James Webb Space Telescope, of course, has all this like folding and unfolding it has to do. It's a very complicated machine. All of that has been tested. A lot of that will get rechecked once it is actually at the launch site to make sure nothing happened uh, in transit. Uh, While this is going on, while it's getting packaged and, and loaded up, uh, teams located in the uh, Webb Mission Operation Center and the Space Telescope Science Institute, uh, the latter being in Baltimore, they are performing checks on the communications network that the James Webb will use. Uh, it's going to be a million miles away from Earth, and it's got to slowly unfold when it gets there. Once it's there, it's got to communicate with Earth. So far, all of those tests have been uh successful that they're getting back the data they expect to get and hopefully that all goes uh, all goes smoothly once the james webb launches it, it does pretty quickly begin kind of getting ready so it takes a month to get to its intended uh orbit again about a million miles away from earth slowly unfolding as it goes and then once the sun shield is completely uh, deployed it will take several weeks basically for the cold side of the telescope to cool down. And they'll be checking that as it goes, making sure that uh, the, the sunshades are in place and doing their job. And then uh, eventually after that, the uh, the big mirror and uh, secondary mirror, all that will begin to unfold. You know, the James Webb looks like a big yellow flower. Basically, yeah. And so, so once all the temperatures are under control, it will begin to open up, and it will kind of about as long this takes. Um, but within several months of launch, hopefully, it will be ready to be operational. That's great. I mean, this is the we're on the journey, right? Like it, it's it's sounding pretty good. We're gonna get to that launch, maybe at the end of the year, where uh, they're gonna be down there at the uh, ESA launch site and. It's gonna it's gonna go, and then we're all gonna hold our breath for a little while, and, and not just the launch, right? Because it's also that whole journey to the Lagrange point and the unfolding, the complex unfolding of it into its final form. It's a lot of stuff, uh, and of course, there's no uh, there's no plan. If something goes wrong with this, is one reason the testing has taken so long. Uh, you can't go out and, and get it. You can't go out and uh, no. and fix it. And so it's got to be completely self-sustaining in the way that it unfolds and the way that it checks itself out and the way that it begins its uh, its science mission. And so that's one reason this testing process has taken so long because you don't get a second shot at this. Well, uh, we've talked about the good. We've talked about some bad. What about lunch? Let's talk about space lunch. Space lunch. Um, 
I prefer to think of this story as more of like a cosmic bad roommate story. <laughs> That's um, good. So, you know, a lot of people out there who have computers, they've heard of like a dual core processor, but have you heard of a dual core star? Truth is... Does that mean it exports video twice as fast? Um, no, unfortunately, no. No, okay. in fact, what happens is... So a lot of stars are in multi, uh, multi-star systems, uh, pairs, binary stars, or, or even more. And we also know that late in life, stars get fluffy kind of like they expand and their the envelope expands and they get all kind of like puffy but you get this leads to interesting cases where you've got stars that are near each other orbiting each other and then they get puffy and then all of a sudden what that means is that their cores are essentially inside a shared envelope which is this very weird thing where it's sort of like an envelope of gas with two with the cores of the two stars still orbiting each other this can also lead to some weird things you get a core merger so you get a bigger, you know, a bigger core and that can lead to supernovas. It can lead to, you know, a, a different dynamic for that star. And sometimes because the lifespan of stars is so variable, you will end up with one of the stars having a regular core, but the other one ending up collapsing to a black hole or being a neutron star. So these are all things that we've talked about and, 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 and seen, uh, but there's a new report out there about a neutron star that didn't just gently fall to the center of that star to become a regular neutron sort of like neutron star core. It, it's it's something called a, I looked it up, it's the Thorn Zitkow Thorn Zitkow object is what okay. it's called. And it's basically a star with a neutron star at its core, which is hilarious. And so it fuses, it fuses in a different way. It was a theoretical object. The thorn there is Kip Thorn, the theoretical physicist. And um they predicted what it would look like in terms of the wavelengths that a, a, an object like this would be like because it would be different because they had the neutron star score and they've seen this object now. So it's it's like it's a real weird thing. This is weirder because this that these radio astronomers have looked at and there's now a, a researchers wrote a, a paper about it. They think they've seen some uh, a, a situation where a neutron star Instead of just sort of going to the core, it ate the outer layers of the companion star and threw off a bunch of material and then went and disrupted the inner core of that star, leading to an explosion. Wow. So this is this is your roommate coming back, knocking off all your breakable items and then like setting fire to the living room. This is basically what this neutron star did. So, how, I mean, is there any sort of indication of how often uh, this may take place? This seems like a, an extremely rare event where, like, the, the certain conditions have to hold for the neutron star to do this. But what what they did in this case is they're trying to figure out what they're seeing, right? So they see this object that is an area that was not previously detected. So it's like, well, why is there something we can see there now? And there wasn't before. And then they noticed that some components of what they were seeing were red shifted and others blue shifted, which means, in other words, something over there, this new thing, some of that material is moving away from us and some is moving toward us. And that's the thing that flips the switch in your head and you go, oh, that that's an explosion. <laughs> like that stuff moving out in all directions from somewhere, something exploded. And that's why we can see it now. So then they go back to that 
part of the sky and they look at other data and they find out that the International Space Station actually, an instrument on the ISS, observed an X-ray burst from that location. They're like, aha, something did happen here. So they put all the data together and what they say is that this neutron star was messing around, ejecting material. It was ejecting material before the explosion and then there was the explosion and they do the timing and sort of like, well, they gotta be connected because it's not, it can't be a coincidence that this material got ejected and then there was a supernova. Right. <laughs> but like it doesn't add up like what process would lead to this and this is their best guess is that there was basically it was a dual core star the neutron star started like knocking stuff around and making a mess and in the end the whole thing just exploded now what they say is the star probably would have exploded anyway but it did so a lot sooner because of what got stirred up by the neutron star so it's just it's a very weird astronomy story about how even when we say here's how the life cycle of stars goes there's all this complexity because sometimes you know a star has a roommate basically and you never know what they're gonna do they're unstable <laughs> <It> freaks out <laughs> it's just an unstable living situation is what i'm saying we've all had bad roommates yeah for sure you have a bad roommate in college good roommate in college <sighs> both both i had yeah. good roommates i had bad roommates yeah same it's uh yeah yeah, so and the ones that you live with the next time are the are the good ones, not the bad ones. That's right. Uh, let's take a quick break. How does that sound? Sounds great. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. If you need a domain name, you can quickly and easily grab it. Uh, if you need SEO tools or email marketing, that's available there as well. And it's all backed up by award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering. You're not up in the middle of the night patching and upgrading things. You just have an easy and powerful tool to establish your home online. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, and more, all with just a few clicks. And of course, all Squarespace sites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website with incredible portfolios, blog posts, business promotion, events, podcast, and much, much more. I love using Squarespace to build websites because you can get something done really quickly, really efficiently. You don't have to worry about all that heavy-duty, nerdy stuff. You can get something set up for somebody that looks great, it's easy to edit, and be on with your day. So head on over to squarespace.com liftoff for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code liftoff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. I want to talk a little bit about Inspiration 4, the first all-civilian space flight. Uh, it is due to launch next week, and so uh, lots of coverage going into it. Obviously, it's it's a very special mission, not only because it's all civilians, but because uh, who's on it? The first uh, childhood cancer survivor to go into space, the youngest American to go into space. The uh, the mission uh, was designed to raise money for St. Jude, so we love that as well. 
A couple things. There is a Netflix documentary. The first two episodes are up. I got the first one last night. Uh, Really fantastic. Getting to know these crew members a lot better. Looking at at their training, their backgrounds, where they came from. Uh, I've really enjoyed the first episode. There have also been a couple of podcasts. It's a little bit closer to home for us. Uh, Axios has a podcast called How It Happened. They just do different seasons of things. Uh, and it is currently doing a series on the mission. So there'll be uh, a link in the show notes to that. That's called The New Astronauts. And then St. Jude is doing a podcast as well named Mission of a Lifetime. And I got to uh, talk to the team behind that show a couple of weeks ago about what they're doing. They really want to tell the story uh, of inspiration for, but really through the eyes of Haley Arsenault, who is the childhood cancer survivor and the youngest American to go into space. She joined the mission. And uh, it's been really cool. Uh, I've listened to several of them. I think episode one and two are out now. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes to that. Um, But I did want to play uh, a little bit from their show because I think it was was really interesting. So uh, first up is a clip of Haley's mom talking about uh, her journey. When she left the hospital the first, right after treatment, she did have a very significant limp. And um, because it was just so hard bending her leg, but she's really worked at that. And um, she was in physical therapy quite a long time. The last time she was in physical therapy, you know, a couple of times a week for two and a half years to get the functioning that she has now. I always get a little smile on my face when, when people find out that she did have cancer and they didn't know it. Uh, and one more clip before we, we move on. Uh, this one is uh, from Haley talking about what the mission means to her. And I, I really love what she had to say. So I wanted to share that here. It's going to be about two hours after the, the door closes before we launch. And either those are going to be the longest two hours or the shortest two hours of my life. Probably both. But I think I'm just going to be feeling a bunch of gratitude that I'm sitting in that seat and that I'm getting to represent all these kids other survivors, kids going through the trenches, going through treatment, and then the kids that aren't with us. I'm representing all these kids, and it's a huge honor. So Inspiration 4 is scheduled to launch uh, before our next episode goes up. They are targeting September 14th, the launch from Launch Complex 39A, so where a lot of SpaceX missions have taken off from, of course. They uh, their 24-hour launch windows, They have a backup one a couple days later, and then they will uh, be in orbit for three or so days and then splash back down. So uh, much more than what we've seen the other uh, private space companies do. Right. Uh, This is far beyond just like maybe going across the the Carmen line or not. Uh, Uh It's a big deal. And it's, it's really been cool to see all this media surrounding it, telling their story. It's great. And what a perfect time, given the... The Relay FM. I mean, they timed it perfectly, knowing that Relay FM's fundraising was going on right now. Clearly, that's right. And and it's good, you know, that they didn't choose me to put go on the rockets. Like, I can't. I got the podcastathon. I can't go to space. Yeah, I know. It really worked out for everybody. Yeah, if you, if you think about it that way. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the old space launch system. How about that? And now, in this corner, the Space Launch System SLS segment. Who is it fighting in the ring? Probably 
starship <laughs> uh, in this corner. Yeah, fighting. Yeah, this it's like Bog. I was that was my Michael Buffer. It's not very good, but it says, "Hey, everybody, it's Jason." It's time for the SLS segment, Space Launch <laughs> System segment, explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia. And now it's Steven with the SLS segment. Woo! <laughs> Woo. I call this one, putting the date on it, we already knew. But not really, mm-hmm. but maybe soon. That's not a great title. Yeah, I workshopped that a little bit. I gave you that big buildup. And that's what you got? I'm sorry. In our document, it's called... 2022 (laughs) yeah uh so there's this uh article by eric berger over on ars technica about uh, the sort of the state of the sls program as of just a couple of weeks ago nasa was still saying they were launching or they were working towards a launch of artemis one by the end of this year we know the the edict the law about what end of the year means end of the year means next year in space of course and it seems like that's what eric's reporting is saying that uh it's not gonna be the end of this year yeah i mean i, I think last year or last year last uh fortnight we talked about this on our episode that the uh, nobody wants to talk about it because they probably want to wait and talk about it later uh, you know and that that is true about artemis landing on the moon and it is also true about the launch of the sls it's the same thing which is like well until you got something to announce, all, like nobody's going to roll out a press release that says it's probably not going to happen, right? Like mm-hmm. the next question is, well, when will it happen? And until you have the answer, you probably just shouldn't say anything. So, of course, it's not going to happen this year. Yeah. Uh, and Eric's reporting is from several people uh, familiar with what's going on, that uh, the rising COVID cases in the U.S., but especially in the South, especially in Florida, uh, has really slowed things down with the number of people they can have uh, safely working and the number of people out from uh, from work because of COVID. They're also behind on some testing. So uh, one of the things, we, we've talked about this actually with our Apollo missions, that these big rockets have a tendency to be pretty violent and you end up with vibrations and you can end up with pogoing where uh, the rocket kind of gets into a state where there's all this feedback and it, it makes the vibration even stronger, in some cases dangerous to the mission or the crew. And to uh, to test this as they're assembling the SLS, there's a mass simulator of Orion that's placed at the top of the rocket. So it's just a, a big chunk of something that yeah. gives it the same weight that Orion would have at the top of the rocket. And those vibration tests were supposed to be done in July, and that they're still ongoing here now, the second, you know, the second week of September. And that's a big deal because once the testing is done, all the results get fed into the flight software. They need to make any adjustments. But then that mass simulator has to come off the top of the SLS and Orion has to be placed. Now, Orion, all the other hardware is all on site, but that takes time. And if you're supposed to have that done in July, August, and now you're September, probably looking at October, you can see how the end of the year just slides off the edge of the table. Yeah. It's just math, right? Like you you can't, it it doesn't add up. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about kind of what's left to do for Artemis 1 to take place. So we have the mass simulator testing. We have Orion being installed. Once assembly 
is complete, uh, the, the entire SLS with Orion at the top will be rolled out to launch pad 39B for a full wet dress rehearsal. And so the vehicle is fueled. The countdown is simulated. So they go through all the steps and checks leading up to launch. Uh, but they don't actually fire it. They basically get right up to the line, but they don't they don't launch. Uh, after that, they defuel the rocket and they roll it back to the vehicle assembly building for any changes that need to be made, any issues that come up uh, during that wet dress rehearsal. Any issues that would come from there and reading some other other things seems like they would primarily be process or ground equipment issues because the SLS has gone through that uh, that test firing at Stennis. And so this has already had propellant loaded into it. It's already been fired. And so I think the hope is that if there are any issues at all, they're not with the rocket itself, that they can address it in process or procedure and then, um, and then move on. But all of that takes time, months potentially. And so I, I just... It really seems like spring, and I think what we said a couple weeks ago, like you said a second ago, really holds up. They're just not saying it, but that's what's going to happen. Yeah, which, you know, we've waited this long, I guess. That's my fatalistic answer. We've waited this long. Get it right and do it right, and then they're going to launch it, and the launch will cost a billion dollars. It's fine. You know, got to do it. Can't not test it. Do you got to do it? <laughs> yes, you should test it. You have to test it, but you right, know. you got to. If you're going to test it, if you're going to launch it, you got to test it. You don't. You don't got to do it, but they're going to do it, so you should test it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good SLS segment there. Good. Good. Uh, We're staying with the up and down theme, you know. Good job. Neutron Star Inspiration Four SLS segment. I got some news for you about our next topic, Stephen. <laughs> well, one of the next topics went sideways, so I don't know what to think about that. But uh, it's mostly, it's mostly down. Some yeah. of them went up and then went down. One of them went sideways. <laughs> but that's all. That's a what a tease that is. That's all coming up after this break. Have you ever seen a rocket go sideways? Well, we got a video for you to watch. <laughs> you know, I was watching it live, and I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> Okay, this episode of Liftoff is also brought to you by Privacy.com. We've all had that feeling. You log into your credit card website or you open the app. Like, I didn't make that payment. That's not me. You know, someone made a purchase with my number. That's a terrible feeling. And you got to go through all the headaches that ensue. Well, privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage financial life online while keeping that important information secure because it generates virtual numbers masking your actual information. So you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online or maybe you know a retail establishment that's had leaks before, that sort of thing. It's all really easy to do. Uh, you can set all these parameters up on a privacy card. You can set who can charge your cards. You can have a card that I only use this at this store or this online retailer. You can set uh, a limit, how much can be charged or how often it can be charged. So if you have some subscription somewhere and you're nervous about them upping their fee or, you know, you don't want to be billed twice in one month or something, you can set all that up and privacy will take care of it with those virtual cards. And of course, you can close any card at any time. And if you use 1Password, it's all built into 1Password now. And those cards work the same way as cards generated uh, on privacy's website. It's all really 
easy, and cool to use. So head on over to privacy.com slash liftoff and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. That's privacy.com slash liftoff to sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay. Uh... Big Fortnite and private space flight, Jason. Lots of things going on here. L- lots of stuff went on. The FAA grounded Virgin Galactic. Yeah. So it turns out <gasps> that during uh, that flight with Richard Branson on board, uh, Spaceship Two veered out of its approved airspace. Whoops. Uh, so Virgin Galactic is now grounded pending the FAA's mishap investigation. That's what they call it. Their words, mishap investigation. What happened is that the ship's two pilots were given these warning lights saying that they were not going to be able to land at their current trajectory. As they ascended, they got the warning for their landing, basically. They made adjustments that altered the trajectory. The flight was successful, but the result is that the flight went out the window, outside that window, that space that the FAA had designated for the flight. Virgin Galactic admits it didn't initially tell the FAA about the deviation. This feels very much like a PR ploy, if you ask me. They wanted to benefit from the spotlight of succeeding. They didn't want to talk about any of the issues until people's attention was elsewhere. That basically worked. Uh, So we'll see what the FAA does and how they handle this going forward. I I have to say this gives me some questions about the viability of Virgin Galactic if they did this flight and are still having issues where the the vehicle is a little bit kind of not in the proper level of control. And, uh, you know, again, like the warning lights came on, they did adjust and it all worked out fine but it just gives me pause this is another question mark for what is up at virgin galactic and and them not man them not telling the faa initially is it's not great not a great move Uh, i do wonder you know that's an you, you said something really caught my attention there they have you know they have everybody watching they want it to be successful they don't want to have to abort because of this issue in the next two stories we're talking about really sort of startup rocket companies having failures and streaming them, you know, in SpaceX's early days, they didn't have as much attention on them. Now they do. And sometimes they have failures very publicly, but I hadn't really considered, yeah, the the sort of impact that, that, uh, you're going to make an infomercial deal, which Virgin Galactic pushed it farther than anyone has, right? Like they were the most, we are a commercially type thing than anything we've seen. And we spoke about it at the time. And a lot of people didn't like it because it felt too much like a commercial, even though they're ultimately going to sell these rides. But if that changes like the decision-making within an organization, and uh, there's no indication that this put anybody in danger, although coming out of the uh, controlled airspace definitely could have, that decision-making tree's got to be looked at because you can't decide to, in this case, literally break the law because a bunch of people are are watching. And if there was pressure inside to do that, hopefully this investigation or or, or some, some subsequent action would look into that because that's not the way this should work at all. Yeah, that's that's why I have pause here, right? It's all of that is is there's sort of some PR flimflamery went on here, they which worked, right? It, 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 they didn't have any story about this, yeah, covering the main story, and then it came out later, and and it does make me wonder about what's going on organizationally, for sure. Yeah, uh, I I'm, I want to keep an eye on that because that's that's an interesting thing to 
to consider as more of these companies do more things in public. That does bring us to Astra. Uh, This is a small launch vehicle company that actually just went public, and their launch vehicle 0006 had... I mean, if you haven't seen this, like, go look in the show notes. Uh, One of the more bizarre-looking rocket failures I think I've ever seen, including, like, historical, like, you know, early (laughs) American rockets, early Russian rockets. This thing basically just slid off of the launch pad. It didn't blow up on the pad, uh, which is good, but it did not behave like a rocket normally should. I mean... They go up, right? <laughs> I mean, and this did eventually kind of go up. And so what what that, happened <laughs> uh what happened here, what they've said so far is that this rocket had an engine failure basically uh immediately. And it wasn't enough to keep it on the ground, but because it was basically burning at half power, because it had one of its its uh engines burning. It moved off of the pad basically horizontally and then kind of goes out over the water and then eventually begins to climb very slowly. For a second there, it was like little rocket that could, right? It's like, oh, it's going to do it. Uh, But very clearly something was wrong. And about two and a half minutes into flight, there's on the video, you can see like parts of the rocket beginning to break up. And so they... They say goodbye to their launch vehicle and put it out of its misery. And yeah. of course they say, hey, it's data. We're going to attempt to make this data make launch vehicle seven better. But just a very strange failure. One, a failure mode that is not very common. No, you just, your brain doesn't really wrap around the whole like sliding sideways thing. And then the fact that it lifted off, I wish there was video of like the, it goes to the right and then it goes up and then it, then they say, forget about it. But weird. Just weird, weird. Uh, yeah, I was watching this this live, and uh, you know, I like I like these following these small companies, and uh, you know, since they just went public, obviously there's a lot of attention on them, and then and then this happens, so uh, it's a bummer. I mean, they will learn from it. All these companies do. I guess the the bright spot here is that it didn't destroy their pad like it could have, right? This thing could have <laughs> gone up and then fallen back on the pad, and then really caused right. you know significant damage to their to their uh, ground equipment, and they were able to avoid that, which is which is a huge positive, right? Normally, when a rocket fails like this, you know you're going to be rebuilding your pad for six months, and so thankfully they don't have to do that, which is which is good news for them. That's why you slide to the right. Slide to the right, you know. Just get out of there. Yeah, just uh, Uchi on out of the way. <laughs> Go watch it; it's incredible. Um, speaking of of private space flight rockets that didn't make it yeah uh i thought we'd end this episode of lift off with a bang <laughs> uh uh firefly aerospace had a launch september 2nd from vandenberg in california um it uh, tumbled out of control two and a half minutes after liftoff and the range officer you know blew it up at that point because you don't want an out of control rocket flying around yeah um it turns out that one of the one of their engines shut off 15 minutes into the flight and that caused all of the cascade of problems that happened a couple minutes later um, you know, Firefly Aerospace, another one of these small, uh, private spaceflight organizations that their response was basically to say, look, it was a test flight. Like mm-hmm. this happens, it's going to happen. It's okay. 
um, it's it's tough, but this is what happens. So yeah, you know, and we got to, we got to see with these last two some uh, yeah some spectacular examples of why it's uh, hard to do spaceflight. Turns out it's actual rocket science. Yeah, it is. It does take a rocket scientist to make a rocket. So yeah, a, a weird trio of stories there. But you know, there's so many of these small companies, and it's it's sometimes honestly hard to keep up with what they're all doing. But as more and more of them move towards launches, I think they'll all become more visible to everybody. Especially when you go public, <laughs> that's gonna draw some attention. It is. Well, Jason, I think that's it for the Fortnite. I think so. I think we did it. Yeah. If you want to find links to the stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website relay.fm/liftoff/158. While you're there, uh, you can get in touch with uh, via email, or you can find us on Twitter. Jason is Jsnell, and you can find me there as ISMH. We'd love to have your support for the Relay FM campaign for St. Jude. You go to stjude.org/relay to learn more and donate. We'll be back in a fortnight, Jason. Until then, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>